There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but it has been a powerful series to be walking through the book of Philippians as Paul is sharing this letter with the church of Philippi. His heart is open to them. He wants to see them flourish in their faith. And um, I don't know what you all have experienced, but I've experienced just God's transformation and, and his willingness to get into our lives, get into the messy, the difficult of our lives and actually transform us, make us whole, make us more like him. It's been a great series so far, and I'm excited to see how he's going to continue today in Philippians chapter 3. Before we turn there, I want to just introduce myself. My name is AJ Wilk. I'm a pastor here on staff at Trinity. For those of you that are watching online, hello. We're a little bit lower than usual with our stage design, but it's going to be awesome. Excited for that. I um, just want to bring your attention to, I'm over mobilization and young adults. So mobilization is actually all about the thing that we talk about at the end of every service, and that's you are. You are sent. All right, a lot of you got it. You are sent. That's the idea that we want to live out the love of Christ. We want to take the gospel to all of our spheres of influence, our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, all of these places. We want to exhibit Jesus' love and help others know him. And actually, at the end of next month, we're going to have a sent service. It's going to be an amazing time where we gather together to pray and reach our city with the gospel. I can't wait to see you all there. And then the young adult side of things is college and young adults. I get to oversee that. It's an incredible ministry where we meet on Tuesday nights. It's called Awaken. If you're a college student, young adult, or if you know one, would love to get them connected to our community as well. Well, Philippians chapter 3, as I said, is where we're going to be this morning. You can open up your Bibles there. Um, if you want, there's a Bible right on your seat. As we open up there, I want to put this on the screen because I think we have to capture Paul's heart, where he's writing from. Recapping the series just briefly, we recognize that Paul is a church planner. He's planted a church at the city of Philippi, and he's gathered this group of people from all different stages, ages, backgrounds, and their mission is to cultivate and grow a church so that others might be transformed by the same gospel of Jesus they're transformed by. Honestly, it's pretty similar to what we're trying to do today in Indianapolis where we've been transformed by God and we want to see that impact go out to our city, to other people that don't know him. But even as we've talked about these different themes of humility, unity, Paul's story as a church planner, I want to remind us of this. This letter comes to a church that Paul loves dearly. He is proud, he's encouraged by who they are and the way they follow Jesus. He's proud and encouraged by them. I, I, I want to even just get that heart because this passage, it, it calls us to a challenge. It calls us to a step of faith, more dependence on God. But we would miss Paul's heart if we just read the words on the paper. His heart is that he loves these people dearly. He's proud of them. He's encouraged by them. And, and I think today God loves us. He's proud of us. He's encouraged by us. I know our staff and we all love being part of this Trinity family, this community, and I just want us to capture the heart before we go any further that 
we should be encouraged. God smiles when he thinks of you. He longs to see you take steps closer to know him. Something really interesting and different happens in chapter three when it comes to Paul's letter. Let's go ahead and read it together. We're gonna start in verse seven. And this interesting and different thing, let's watch for it. Well, we're gonna read a couple different sections of scripture, but we're gonna start in verse seven. Philippians three, verse seven says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes from my own, but comes, or either that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes through God on the basis of faith. Church, this is the word of the Lord. It still speaks true today. And as Paul's writing, the interesting and different thing that he goes about in this passage is he actually shares his story. And if we just read the words, we might miss it, but he shares his story personally and emphatically. Let's actually go back to verses four through six, just the preceding verses here. And it says this, if you're still in chapter three, it says this, Paul's sharing his story. Recognize this is his story, part of his past, what God has brought him through. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul writing, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a super Hebrew. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, so much zeal he had, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul is sharing personal, intimate details about his life. I mean, literally, some of the most personal information he has of the day he was circumcised. I wouldn't really want to remember that day, but he shares it. The, the day he's circumcised, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe he comes from. Now, now get this. There are 613 Old Testament laws. 613. And what does he say? How, he, how well he follows those laws of his people? Faultless. I don't know about you, I have trouble following like the four or five household rules that Michaela and I set up and it's like, oh, I, I messed up this one today, messed up this one tomorrow. 613, he says he's faultless. This is his story. This is personal information that he's sharing. Now, I wanna bring this into the context because remember, we, we never read scripture just as the text itself, but we always read it within context these statements that he makes for the Jews, they would have been championed. It would have been like, yes, Paul, you share that. That is where your worth comes from. That is who you're supposed to be. For the Jews, this would have been like, you are a Hebrew of Hebrews. You are faultless according to the law. You're a Pharisee. They would have celebrated that, championed that. It would have been everything to them. But for the Gentiles, as even as they heard this letter read in Philippi, it would have immediately brought about oh, discouragement. 
disappointment, distance, because actually the word Gentile in that time literally meant not Jewish. So what Paul was doing was he was showing this epicness, this awesomeness of what his old life was and how he used to count his value, how he used to do it. But this is, this is the key. This is, this is what he does. He, instead of emphasizing that, he lays that down and says, that's actually not where my confidence is. That's not where I put my worth. That's not where I put my value. But instead, he says, this is what my story is now. So lastly, let's turn to verses 10 through 11. This is what Paul wants to be recognized for, known for. This is how his life has changed. I want to know Christ. Can we just say those words together? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. One more time. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. But I also want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul's story. What he was, what he used to put all of his confidence in, all of his hope in, and this is now what he wants to be, what he's living. I wonder, church, if today the truth of Paul's life actually is a narrative, is a thread that is woven throughout human history that every man and woman has had to deal with, that even we deal with today. And I think part of Paul's story is this, and Pascal actually has a quote that I think will help us engage with his story a little bit deeper. It says this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. In the church, we sometimes commonly today refer to that as the God-shaped hole in our heart. What this means is that God created you he created me, he created Paul, and every person in human existence to find their fullness of life in him. The series is Counted All Joy. God designed us that we might find our joy in him. We might find our purpose, our fulfillment. We might have that missing love that we've always wanted. We might find that in him, and not that only we might find that in him, actually only God can satisfy only God can be the one to actually bring about a life of fullness and a life of real joy, independent of life circumstances. We find that only in God. Here's the tricky part, though, with, again, Paul, you and I, is that just as God created us to find fullness in him and only in him, he also gave us free will. He gave us free will. So that means he is not going to force or coerce your love or, or even you finding your life in him. We, we find this all the time in relationships from uh, children to even parents and spouses and roommates, friends, uh, the, the people we walk around with. But you, you know how free will can kind of be this tricky thing. Because you have an idea, you have something you really want to do, and then this other person, the person you're living with, your kids, your, your spouse, whatever it is, they make a different decision. They choose their own path, they choose their own way, and you painstakingly are like, you know what, I think you should be doing it this way, I really do, but 
God gave us this ability to choose, and he gave us this ability to choose because he wants genuine love. He wants real love. He, he wants love that is all-consuming. He wants us to give our lives to him, not our lives be taken from us by him. And so with this and how it's set up, we can actually choose what we orient our lives around, how we go about this missing joy, this, this God-shaped hole in our heart that Pascal describes. We get to choose what we pursue to try to find that. Do, do we see Paul's story even coming into a little bit clearer of a lens? He chose, while he was Saul, before the Damascus Road conversion, he chose to pursue becoming a Hebrew of Hebrews to try to fill that that emptiness, the loneliness, the purposelessness that, that God even designed his heart to have to only be found in him. He tried to f- find it by becoming a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, just as Paul is sharing his story, I, I want to share a little bit of mine this morning with you all. I remember the first time I felt that emptiness that, man, I, I just feel like I'm not really finding joy or, or fullness or I, I've had an amazing week, I've had an amazing summer, but, but, but I just feel a little bit of emptiness. I feel a little bit of disconnect. And, and I think if I was remembering correctly, I was about uh, eight or nine years old when I felt this for the first time. And, and I remember it vividly because I was laying in my bed. I'd had a really awesome week and, and yet I sat there and I was like, man, something's missing. And obviously, as an eight or nine-year-old, I can't articulate uh, Pascal as the God-shaped vacuum in my heart. Um, but, but I remember calling to my mom and, and asking her, Mom, can, can you come in here? And she sat on the edge of my bed. And I just remember saying to her, Mom, I don't know why, but I just feel like a little bit empty, a, a little bit lonely. Do, do, you, do you know what's going on? Like, why is that? I've had a really fun day. And as the best a little nine-year-old AJ could articulate that, I, I said that to her. And, and she said, Thankfully, as she pointed me to Jesus, she said, well, AJ, let's just pray about that. You can ask God to fill that, that void in your heart. And so we just sat on the edge of the bed and, and she prayed with me and, and I went back to bed. But that was just the beginning of a journey for me of finding a little bit of emptiness and then in my own decision, in my own free will of how God designed me, pursuing different things to try to fill it. Now, one of the things I pursued, and this is a little bit more trivial, but one of the things I pursued to try to fill it, especially during my childhood, was basketball. If you know me, you know I love sports, I love people, I love being active, and so you would catch me almost every single day in the warm months, and maybe even if it was March, during March Madness, it could be 20 degrees outside in Michigan, and I'd be out there shooting hoops in the front yard of our driveway. And one thing that I love to do is I love to use my imagination of how I could find like the best life ever. So little like 10-year-old AJ's out there and what I would always use in my imagination in the front yard of my driveway was that I had gotten a full ride scholarship to Michigan State University to play basketball. I grew up in East Lansing, five minutes away from the Breslin Center where the Spartans played. And so that, that was my dream. So I would be in the driveway and I'd be imagining myself all the way through the season. So I'd be the starting point guard. I'd be averaging like 25 points a game. And we'd be beating teams like Indiana, Purdue, Michigan. Sorry, guys. I know I've moved to Indiana now. Um, exactly. Someone just said it's my imagination. It was my imagination. Yes. 
And so well, I was beating all these teams and finally we would get to March Madness and, and we'd win the first round, we'd get all the way to the final four, we'd get to the national championship and then as kids often do, I would get to the national championship game, we'd be down by two points and there'd be 10 seconds left. So I go back to my imaginary three-point line and, and I take my step and I shoot it and oftentimes I would miss it and then magically time reappears back on the clock, right? So I run to grab the ball, I, I grab it and 10 more seconds somehow appeared on the clock and I'd go back and I'd probably miss it again and often the third or fourth time I'd finally hit the three-pointer and just imagine, we won, we did it, Michigan State national champions and, and that was the dream in my heart and, and in my mind during those younger years as I was outside of my driveway playing basketball. Now, thankfully, uh, God, by the way he designed me and even the, the physical way he created me, he nixed that dream pretty quickly. Um, you can actually see by this photo on the screen, um, that's me playing basketball as a little, like, 10-year-old. I'm actually not dunking. We pulled a ladder up. I went and grabbed on the rim. I said to my brothers, pull away the ladder and take a picture. Um, and so that, that's me. Obviously, I was like 5'7", uh, maybe 100 pounds going into my freshman year of high school. So my basketball career ended and God redirected my life. But with that, this little bit of a lie, this little bit of a false hope entered my mind during my childhood. And, and it was this. It was the lie that if I worked hard enough, if I relied on myself, if I actually did it all on my own, I could create my own happiness. I could create my own joy. I myself could fill the love in my heart that was missing. And through various ways and even throughout my life today, there's this wrestling of I can do it to, to find the happiness on my own. I, I can be the one. And it's not even with things maybe as simple as basketball or, or as trivial as that. Even, for example, the, the last seven or eight years, um, I've been responding and, and saying yes to God's call in my life for ministry. Summer before my senior year of high school, God said, AJ, I want you to build the church. I want you to preach the word. I want you to serve God's people and be a pastor. And I responded. I said yes to that. And the past seven or eight years, I've been um, going to Indiana Wesleyan. I got an undergrad degree in Christian ministries. I got my master's in ministry. And even this summer, summer 2022, I was ordained in the Wesleyan church as a pastor. First of all, I just want to pause there and say thank you to so many of you who, uh, yeah, th thank you so I've so appreciated your encouragement, your cards, your, your prayers. I, I, me and Michaela honestly wouldn't be here without the support of, of our Trinity Church family. So thank you so much for that. But as I've been navigating this ministry journey and trying to respond to God's call in my life, the temptation still slips in. And, and maybe you'll recognize this in your own life, in the own pursuits that you have. The temptation still slips in to say, you know what? I, I got a ministry degree. I got a master's degree. I, I got ordained. And that slowly slips in to become, maybe I want to put my worth in that. Maybe I want to put my confidence in still what I've done rather than the God who gave me and designed me and called me to all that I am. Even through the last few years with things way more complex, way more deep than basketball, I've been working through and wrestling with that. Paul uses this term 
confidence in the flesh. And whenever we see repetition in the Bible, we know it's important. We know we want to lean in. So if we look at Philippians chapter 3, confidence in the flesh comes up time and time again. And in fact, I want to make sure before we go any further, before we even take another step today, I really want to make sure that we understand this term well that Paul is talking about because I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, I thought confidence was a good thing. Shouldn't I be confident? Shouldn't we tell our kids to be confident in their faith, in their dreams of how God designed them? Shouldn't we tell them to have confidence and and work hard, give their all? And the answer is, is of course, yes, yes, and yes. But here's, here's the key. We have to know the Greek word. And the Greek word here is pepoithesis. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say pepoithesis to them. Pepoithesis. Congratulations, you just learned Greek. You can check that off your Sunday to-do list. Um, Pepoithesis. That's the word confidence in the flesh that, that Paul is using here in the Greek in the New Testament. This is actually more accurately translated as reliance and trust. So Paul is saying my reliance and trust was in the flesh. Not just that I was confident in myself and my abilities and how God's designed me, but my reliance and my trust was in the flesh. My reliance and trust was in what I could do. I remember playing basketball on that court. I remember even the temptation the past few years for ministry and all these things that if if I just give my all to this, if I do everything, if, if I go all in, I can rely, I can trust on, in myself to find the happiness, to find the fulfillment, the joy, the love that I'm looking for. That's what Paul's speaking to. Not a confidence that we're confident in who God created us to be, but a reliance and a trust that is self-sufficient, only in ourselves. Let's go back to Saul, who became Paul's story. If we look at Saul, we see that Paul, or Saul would have been everything a Hebrew person aspired to be. And what did he do? He relied and trusted on himself to get there. He followed every single law, all 613 of them, to the T. He was the one who became a Pharisee. He was the one who even persecuted the church because he was so convinced, so relying on himself, that's what it meant to have zeal. Saul's story tells us that you can win in society. You can even win in religious society and still not make it. You can literally win. Everything is yours, faultless, fame, money, zeal, and still not make it. A very famous person, actually, the the, the Jesus who Paul is writing about in Philippians chapter three said these words. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? The whole world and yet lose their soul. This is what Paul, again, remember the very beginning? He's encouraging, proud. He loves this church. He wants to see them flourish. So what he's calling them to is don't rely on yourselves. Don't just trust in yourself. That's meant for God the only one who can fill your heart, the only one who can lead you in the way everlasting. This might be 
more obvious to some of us if you've been walking with God for a long time and you've been wrestling of laying things down, giving up trust and reliance, but maybe even this morning there, there are some things that are bubbling up in you that are like, man, I, this is difficult. It is hard to lay things down. It's hard to give up reliance and trust in myself and the things that I create. And I just want to say, you are in really good company if you're wrestling through that. You're in the company of Paul. You're in company of the heroes, of the men and women in our faith. Because all of us as Christians have to lay down ourselves, lay down our reliance and trust in us to give it to God. Here's where it gets interesting with Paul's story. Paul, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, is the greatest, currently, is the greatest church planter of the early church. He has preached and led people throughout many cities, multiple countries to Christ. And he actually is named an apostle. Someone who has the power, has the ability to see Jesus face to face and Jesus himself sent him out for a good work after the road to Damascus encounter. You wanna know what we don't see later in the passage as Paul sharing his story? We don't see any of that. He doesn't talk about how he's a great church planner. He doesn't talk about how he's a great preacher. He doesn't talk about how he's given up all this time and he's been persecuted. He doesn't brag or boast about that. What does he say? And we said it out loud earlier. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Billy Graham is actually a great modern day example of this. He would be similar to Paul in terms of in the course of Billy Graham's ministry career, he led two million people to Christ under his preaching. He would go to a stadium to preach and there would be 50,000 people there. He activated churches and disciples. He was someone who he could have been known by all of these things, but in his sermon, and I was, as I was doing study on Philippians chapter three, I came across a sermon of Billy Graham's that said, there are three things you can't do without, that that was the title. And his quote in that sermon was, I'm nothing except for Jesus. I'm nothing except for Jesus. He, he later went on to, to summarize his sermon and said, give me Jesus plus nothing. Give me Jesus plus nothing. Paul, Billy Graham, so many men and women, heroes of our faith, have found this truth in Philippians chapter three and they have held on to it with their entire lives. The truth is knowing Jesus is worth everything. Knowing Jesus. Verse eight, it says the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The surpassing worth it's worth everything. And now what I want us to do is as we come to a close and respond together to Philippians chapter three, I can invite the, the band to make their way back up. What I wanna do is I wanna just take a deep breath together. Just take a deep breath and just rest in the fact that the pressure, the performance the trying to get to know Christ, it's actually not on our shoulders. I think the greatest thing that ever happened from 
Saul to Paul was that he went from knowing that it's not about his righteousness, as we read in the text, but it's about faith in God. All God is asking for you this morning with your lives day in and day out is faith. He wants you to take a step towards him. He wants you to continue, whether you've been following Jesus for 35 plus years, or you maybe wanna make a decision to follow Jesus today, watching online or in the room, all God is calling out of us is more faith, more yes. I'll say it this way, submitting your life and this confidence, this reliance and trust to Christ, it's both death and resurrection. We die to our old selves and we are found alive in Jesus. We lay down the reliance and trust of ourselves. We lay down finding our worth in the things we do and instead we pick up a new life in Jesus because he is worth everything as we lay it down. Paul, to this church he loves, gives a very clear, logical argument that Jesus is the surpassing worth, but he also gives a heartfelt, personal call to this church. It's such a beautiful thing, he says, that our righteousness doesn't come from what we do. He experienced this in his story, but rather it comes from who we are, children of God, as we put our faith in Jesus. I wanna respond with this question. Where is your confidence? Where is your reliance and your trust? As Paul implores the Philippians, D.L. Moody actually has this quote that I think will really help us respond even together this morning. And he says this, our greatest fear should not be of failure. Our greatest fear is not of failure, church. Well, we're gonna make mistakes. As we give our all for Christ, as we put our faith in him, as we try to trust and hope in him, we are gonna fall. We're not perfect. We're gonna come slip back to trusting ourselves. Sometimes we're gonna slip into that. Our greatest fear is not of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Paul's call to the church of Philippi is don't be like my old life. Don't be like Saul. The worst thing that could have ever happened to Saul was if he had finished his race, if he had finished his life, and he was still the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was still faultless on the law because he wouldn't have known Jesus. That, that would have been the worst thing. That would have been his greatest fear was that he finished the life like that, trusting in himself, only doing what, with what he could do. So our response today, church, is not a fear of, oh, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough trust. I'm, I'm not great at this yet. That, that is not what we fear, church. In, instead, we can put our hope, we can give our all to Christ because he's worthy of that. He's worthy of that. This phrase is gonna help us respond and it's this phrase, all of my life for the rest of my life. It's a phrase that I was introduced to during my high school years in a ministry and it stuck with me ever since because truly I believe with, with all of my heart that basketball, my career, these things of the world, they're not worth giving all of my life to. They're not worth giving all of my life for the rest of my life to. You wanna know who is? Jesus. 
He's worthy of stepping out, not being scared of messing up, not being scared of failure, not being scared of not always perfectly relying and trusting, but he is worthy of giving all of my life for the rest of my life. Whether I have 70 years to go or I have one, I wanna give Jesus my all because he's worthy of that. He is worthy of that church. And I don't wanna be known for basketball. I don't wanna be known for even a career, being a great preacher. I wanna be known for knowing Jesus. I wanna be known for having a heart that says, just take everything, give me Jesus. And church, I I pray and I hope this morning that the Holy Spirit even is, is inviting you into that as well, that we would be a church. What if we as Trinity Church, what if we as individuals and then collectively as a church became just known, we know Jesus and we wanna help you know Jesus too. We wanna give our all to knowing Christ and making Christ known in the world. There's no greater cause, there's no greater endeavor. And Paul, to this church he loves, invites them into that. As we get to the end of our lives, our legacy ultimately is not about what we did, it's about who we impacted. It's not about what you invested your life in, but it's who you invest your life in. It's investing in God, and it's investing in others to help them know God. So church, I just want you to grab the Next Steps cards and if you're watching online, you can grab a sheet of paper or fill out the Next Steps cards online as well. Um, you can at least fake like you're doing it too, so I, I know you're responding. You can grab your Next Steps cards. And what, what I want you to do is I want you to just write that phrase on the card, all of us. Write that phrase on the card. If you're able to do that, all of my life for the rest of my life all of my life for the rest of my life. And again, you may have been following Jesus for 30 plus years, or truly, maybe this very morning, you wanna say, whether you're watching online or you're in person, you may wanna say, I I wanna give my life to Christ. I I wanna give up relying and trusting in myself. I wanna know Jesus. And if you do, just check that box that says I'm making a decision or I'm I'm recommitting my life to God. We would love to follow up with you. I would love to have a conversation with you. Our team would love to pray. But write that on the card all of my life for the rest of my life. And then we're just gonna take a few seconds. Band's gonna play behind us and you're just gonna ask God, God, what does that mean for me? Maybe this, this month, this week, what's a step I can take? Can I spend a little bit more time with you? Could, could I talk about you more with my kids? Could I share a little bit more of my car ride with you in prayer? I don't know what it is, but we wanna know Christ. We wanna give him all that we have. So write that phrase and then let's just listen for God for a few seconds of what it would mean to give him all we have for the rest of what we have. Love you, church, and God loves you. He's proud of you, and he's inviting you into life and fullness with him. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps. Thank you.